What's up, y'all? This is John Lorenz with Anesthesia Guidebook. My guest today is Obina Odumodu. He goes by Obi. Obi is currently completing his doctorate in anesthesia at the University of St. Francis in Fort Wayne, Indiana. This podcast will review best practices in precepting and is being utilized as a teaching tool as part of Obi's doctoral research. Obi was motivated to create this podcast as a tool for helping SRNAs and CRNAs hone their skills as clinical educators. To that end, we review the benefits of preceptor training, the qualities of effective preceptors, and how to tailor approaches to teaching novices versus experienced anesthesia trainees. We also touch on adult learning theory, how to create positive learning environments, and how to give effective feedback. Our hope is that this podcast will overcome some of the barriers of time-consuming and costly preceptor training programs and give SRNAs and CRNAs some practical tools to improve their skills as clinical educators. Like any clinical skill, whether it's placing central lines or arterial lines or mastering an array of airway techniques, clinical education is not something you show up knowing how to do. Being an effective preceptor is something that you can get better at, and if you're working with any kind of learner, you owe it to those learners to think about and actually train on how to become a better clinical educator. Being an expert clinical provider does not mean that you're an expert clinical educator. It's two skill sets, and hopefully this podcast will help you develop as a better clinical educator. As part of Obi's research, we've embedded a 12-question survey in the show notes to this episode. Obi will tell you more about it at the end of the interview. It would be super helpful if you would take a couple of minutes, it'll literally only take you two to three minutes, and answer the questions. You can find the link to the SurveyMonkey survey in the show notes or on the website for this podcast. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about Obi before we get going. Obina Odumodu was born in Texas, but at the age of three, his parents moved back to Nigeria after completing their degrees at Texas A&M University College Station. Obi grew up in Nigeria, and when he was 19 years old, he returned to the United States where he completed a bachelor's degree in nursing at West Texas A&M University. He worked as a critical care registered nurse for over a decade before returning to complete his DMP degree at the University of St. Francis. Obi is married to Josephine Odumodu, and they have four boys. Interestingly, Obi started training in jiu-jitsu with his boys when they were young, and just prior to entering anesthesia school, Obi won a World Jiu-Jitsu Championship in 2017. He plans to continue to roll alongside his sons after completing anesthesia school later this year. I also want to give a quick shout out to Dr. Lisa Osborne, the program director at the University of St. Francis, for reaching out to me almost a year ago to help get this project off the ground. Dr. Osborne is helping doctoral candidates at St. Francis find innovative ways to share their work with the world, and I want to wish her and the other SRNAs and faculty at the University of St. Francis the very best. And with that, let's get to the show. Well, Obi, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast to talk about best practices and precepting. I'd like to start by talking about what got you interested in doing a podcast on this topic. Oh, that's an interesting question. And thanks for also having me here. Your yeah, of course. I really appreciate it. Uh, so much um, uh, thanks to you. To answer the question, I'll give a quick story about that. Um, so in 2008, I graduated from well, West Texas A&M University uh, with my bachelor's in nursing. And right after that, um, I became, I went straight into the ICU setting. And I remained there for the next 10 years, both in Houston area and also San Antonio area. 
And obviously, within that time period, I also charged laws and evidently a preceptor. But one thing that really baffled me at that time was the high turnover rates. I really couldn't make sense out of it, but I knew that was a problem in terms of turnover rates of ICU nurses. So it was kind of really fascinating after precepting so many people. And so fast forward to 2018, in an anesthesia program, I got admission into the anesthesia program. And our program was really a front-loaded program and in which you had the foresee of didactic, which encompasses um, the anesthesia core curriculum and also the intro into the DMP project. With the intro into the DMP project, our professors really encouraged us to focus on something that we're really interested in. And one of the things I was really interested in was this high turnover rate in the ICU setting. Right. So moving forward, in a year later, that was in uh, finger 2019, after the whole didactic period was over, uh, the first rotation into this clinical setting, uh, it was like a reality check. I felt like there was something missing. I couldn't really put my hands on it at the time. I felt like there was a disconnect a little bit between you know, SRNAs and the CRNAs. In other words, you had some... CRNA is having some form of expectation, meaning like, so I would say, oh, you should be able to do this, you should be able to do that. And I felt that there was no this standard. I felt that this standard was, there was a standard that was missing, or there was something that was really small that was missing. Like the issue of onboarding, where things are kind of introduced to you in increments was missing at the time. Uh, it was more like a baptismal by fire kind of situation. Right, right. So I started thinking about it, and I said to myself, I need to bring forth a DRP project that encompasses the basic core knowledge or principles that the CRNA should have in their background whenever they encounter an SRNA. For example, things like creating a conducive environment, uh, letting them know things about uh, effective feedback mechanisms, uh, communication techniques that are based on literature, evaluation, and the importance of that. So I started looking into that uh, with my literature reviews and stuff like that. And uh, finally, this was born out of the blues, the effectiveness of CRNA preceptor training. I'm really glad that you reached out and that we're going to spend some time talking about not only you know why you're passionate about this and, and what you hope other CRNAs will learn about the art of precepting, but also what the literature says. So you've conducted a lit search on precepting and anesthesia training and healthcare training. So let's talk a little bit about what that research revealed. Can you discuss the, the impact of preceptor training and anesthesia education in terms of you know why is preceptor training important for the profession? Oh, that's a very good question. To answer that question, you really have to think about, you know, just the definition of preceptive. Preceptive basically just means that method in which um, a skill or knowledge is transferred from an expert to a novice. And with that transfer over time, you kind of transfer an old knowledge to a new uh, student. And over time, creativity comes about, refinement of that skill comes about, and patient outcome increases, and the profession itself becomes a better profession. So what does precepting training do? What it does is it helps, it guides, it helps that expert, that CRNA preceptor, transfer that knowledge to an SRNA in such a unique way that 
takes away the negative side effect that that skill, that knowledge is effectively transferred to that novice srna and that in itself enhances the profession and the profession as a whole benefits from that transfer of that knowledge so basically that's the main importance of uh, preceptor training yeah it's really interesting don't you think that as important as the function of precepting is like you said it's the transfer of this basic knowledge of anesthesia to trainees To me, it's surprising that precepting is not a required part of curriculum in CRNA training programs nationally. What do you think about that? Do you think think preceptor training should be part of academic programs? Uh, It seems like we often just leave it up to clinical CRNAs to figure out how to become preceptors on their own. I really feel that there has to be some type of preceptor training that has to be uh, created by some individuals to help that transition of that knowledge from SPAT to novice. And that training should at least create a blueprint on how to actually transfer that knowledge. I'll give, for instance, like, so let's talk about COA. Uh, COA is the Council for Accreditation. Right. And based on their policies, they have two criteria that makes up a preceptor. Uh, one is that uh, CRNA has to be a certified CRNA. And number two, they have to be credentialed in the facility in which they work. Now, as you alluded to, certain schools have added few other concepts to that minimum standard established by COA. So, for instance, you have some schools that will say, okay, hey, you have to have one year of experience before you present. Right. And then you have a little number of schools out there that will say, well, okay, you have to undergo some type of training that the university establishes for that preceptor. Now you have a vast majority of schools that just embark on just that minimum core uh, principles of being certified and also being credentialed in that particular health facility. So yeah, so I think the thing is that COA needs to say to themselves, okay, we do know that out there, the studies show that preceptor training is very vital and very important. And therefore, uh, how do we create that, I like to call it that blueprint or that minimum basic or that knowledge or that pathway that helps guide that transfer of knowledge from a CRNA preceptor to an SRNA student effectively without compromise of knowledge and skill. So that's important. Yeah, it is surprising that the Council on Accreditation or COA, which just to be clear, accredits nursing and anesthesia training programs and, and university exactly. programs across the nation. Yeah, it's it's pretty minimum requirements in terms of like you've got to be a CRNA and you have to be licensed at where you're providing clinical services. So uh, just the core basics. And then, of course, yeah, some universities will go beyond that in terms of putting dates and things on on how long a CRNA should be practicing before they do precept. As the, as the clinical coordinator at my institution, we do, it's not just a requirement, but in, in many ways, it's a benefit that we um, have our new graduate CRNAs work for a year before they're expected to precept SRNAs because we want them to kind of get... Um, you know, familiar with their own clinical practice and and get that at least, you know, baseline experience out on their own uh, before they're expected to then turn around and, and become clinical educators themselves. So we do require that one year of experience, but that's just an institutional guideline. I mean, it's just something that we've made up. It's definitely not 
put on us by the local university or the Council on Accreditation. So, well, I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about the literature and what it says about the barriers to getting CRNAs to participate in preceptor training. Because it's it's one thing to say, hey, this is really beneficial. This could help CRNAs get better at clinical teaching. But there's definitely some barriers uh, that are involved. So what have you found out about that? Okay, that's a very good question. So um, through my literature reviews, it's really interesting that it boiled down to three main barriers that you look at across the spectrum of literature reviews when it comes to preceptor training. Number one is the, just their willingness to do it. And number two is the lack of time. And number three is the cost. Let's talk about the willingness for a second. According to literature, it says that some preceptors just see it as trivial. You know, it's not important. Like for me, they, they see it as uh, I'm able to teach this person. I'm able to transfer this skill to this student or this SRNA. So it's not important for me to undergo some type of training. And uh, yeah, and that's true. But at the same time, it's wise, according to literature, you have to look at it from a clinician point of view, skill, and also from a teaching point of view. So if you have a expert clinician, and you also have someone that is, has a sound foundation, has a good foundation in teaching, and you merge that together, and then you create a phenomenal preceptor that's able to transfer that skill. So most all literature basically say a willingness is one of the biggest factors in which CRNAs and preceptors as a whole just don't see it as important to undergo that type of training. Then you look at the lack of time. Uh, normal preceptor training takes up to four hours online. And then you have an in-person seminar that takes up to two days. Really, someone might not really find that time to do something like that. And especially when it leads back to that unwillingness, they'll look at it and say, okay, I just don't have that time to do it. And then you look at the costs. Sometimes a seminar, two-day seminar costs anywhere up to $450, which leads back to the willingness. Am I going to pay that amount of money and lose this amount of time in which I have to relax and go to work to pay $150 to learn something that I see as trivial? You know, So you have to look at it. So as you said, mentioning this barrier is important because it lets Syrians know that these barriers are what you're going to see and move past that barrier to get it done such that you know that, is, that you're going to see this feeling of unwillingness, uh, lack of time, cost, and you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to look past that and just have it done to acquire this teaching skill, basically. Right. And I feel that's, that's, that's important in this podcast to let people know that. And again, this podcast is great in itself that it helps with that convenience that people could listen to it and just get that minimum core understanding of what a preceptor entails. Yeah, hopefully it will uh, be something that's accessible, easy, you know, it's, uh, yeah, okay. it, it makes it convenient, it's obviously free. So, uh, so let's talk a little bit more specifically about some of the benefits of preceptor training. What have you found in terms of what the literature says in terms of the benefits of precepting? Uh, the benefit of preceptor, you find a lot of benefits, but I kind of narrowed it down to two major benefits to the SRNA, benefits to the CRNA, and also benefit to the profession as a whole. So look at benefit to the SRNA. And what literature says is that there is a direct correlation between the increase in confidence of that SRNA related to a well-trained preceptor. And there's a vast amount of literature out there that 
justify this, meaning that a CRNA that is trained in their role has the ability to increase the confidence of that SRNA student or just the student as a whole, because now you have a clinician and you also have a teacher that's merged together. And what can you ask for better than that? And also, you also have a, a decrease in stress level for that SRNA. Now, if you look at the CRNA pattern, the benefits to that is that it increases the confidence of that CRNA in the role of preceptor. The duties of the CRNA is very stressful. You know, administering anesthesia to patients in a really stressful environment. And that added to which preceptor can also increase that stress level. So when preceptors undergo that training, you'll find out that they are more confident in their role and then back on that duty of preceptor. So yeah, those are the major core benefits of preceptor training. Yeah, that's great. What do you hope the CRNAs who are listening to this podcast take away from what you want to share with them today? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, The number one thing is I really hope that number one is just the appreciation of CRNA preceptors around United States and the great work that they're doing. They are doing a phenomenal job being able to enhance the profession, transfer skills, knowledge to students out there. Number two is they hope that they will understand the importance of preceptor training to the CRNA, to the SRNA, and to the profession as a whole. Yeah. And then the third uh, hope through this podcast is that um, to give that basic knowledge that accompanies or that helps that CRNA as the precept and SRNA on a day-to-day basis, something that hovers around in the back of their mind when they, are, when they first get in contact with an SRNA. So that's my biggest hope. Yeah. So you've done quite a bit of reading and, and a fair bit of thinking about precepting. What would you say are the kind of core qualities of a good preceptor? Good question. So uh, the core qualities uh, from my research, I have like about eight core good qualities that a preceptor should possess. And one of them is the openness. Another is empathy. And the third one is very important. See that SRNAs appear and nothing less than that. Another core quality that's mentioned in the literature is enhanced listening skills. Another one is the ability to stay calm under stressful situations, which is very important. Another quality can be talked about as encouraging independency of the student. You know, that's, that's really important. And another thing is possessing that clinical competency and flexibility to be able to deal with an SRNA student. And finally, the ability to evaluate a student on a day-to-day basis. Interesting. Um, and what what was the what was the third quality you said? I didn't quite catch that one. Uh, the ability to view an SRNA as a peer. That is really crucial. I'm seeing them not just as something less than a peer, like a co-worker, as a future co-worker, you know, and that's really important to be able to work with them. Once you see, according to literature, once they're able to see them, not as a, how will I use that? I'll use the word minority or something like that. Then you're able to deal with them and, and transfer that skill effectively. Yeah, I think it's, it goes a long way when you're able to give a trainee that level of respect that they're going to be your future colleague and coworker. Exactly. What would you like preceptors to know or think about when they work with 
a new SRNA versus a senior SRNA who's nearing graduation? Okay, to answer that question, we'll look at the characteristic of a new SRNA student, or what I call a novice SRNA student. I'll also look at what I call a senior SRNA student. So let's look at novice or a new SRNA student. Typically, this begins one year after the didactic period. And this SRNA at this point is new to the OR. This is the first time that this SRNA is actually making a care plan. And typically, this SRNA is typically overwhelmed by what is called just the routine cases. There's this feeling of inadequacy at this point. And this SRNA really benefits from reassurance from the preceptor. Simple as telling the SRNA that, hey, look, um, when this happens, uh, it happened to me. It, it really helps. And I know it helped me too. During my time, I'm like, okay, I don't know why I'm doing this. And so one of the senior personnel said, don't worry about it. You're going to move past this stage. Now, if you turn shift gears and look at the other part of it, characteristics of what you see in the senior SRNA is that it begins the year before graduation. At this point, the SRNA really requires moderate or minimal assistance at this point. And the biggest thing is that, uh, that communication Open communication is a very important skill that this SRNA needs to develop at this point in their life to become an independent provider once they graduate. Yeah, that's great info, Obi. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about how preceptors can help create that environment that's conducive to learning in the clinical setting. Um, that, that is a very, very good question. And I feel one of the most important aspects of preceptor training, and that is creating a conducive environment. Uh, what do we know from literature? Basically, conducive environment does certain things, at least four major things. Number one is that it increases critical thinking of the student. Number two, it encourages skill development. And it also increases the ability for that student to ask questions freely. And most of all, and finally, the ability to learn from mistakes. And that's what the conducive environment does. And then you ask yourself, okay, what are the ways that you can create this conducive environment? And for literature, it says the number one thing that you can do, there are actually two things, but the number one thing that you can do is establishing a positive rapport with the SRNA at the beginning. And this is very important. You have to look at it like, uh, the way I see it is like uh, the SRNA is this vista coming into your own home. So creating that positive rapport at the beginning kind of set the tone for that conducive environment to go. And finally, is the ability to give constructive feedback whenever a deficiency is found. And that's very important within the context of this conducive environment. Yeah, we're going to talk about how to give feedback. Uh, I want to ask you about that here in a couple of minutes. But in terms of creating this environment that's conducive to learning or this positive environment, are there specific things that CRNAs can do to help facilitate a safe space to learn? I think a lot of it is just that it has to be a conscious thing that the CRNA has to put in the back of their mind is that, okay, I'm going to deal with this SRNA. And I'm meeting this SRNA for the first time. So how do I create, if I know in my mind that conducive environment is very important to the ability of an SRNA to learn something, how do I create that positive environment? And it's a simple stuff of uh, introducing yourself. 
you know, in, in a nice way or something like that. It really could help. And you really have to look at it from the point of that SRNA sometimes. You know, some SRNAs are new in a new environment. This is not an environment that they are used to. And, they are, you know, they're just coming, getting adapted to that environment slowly. So creating that environment at first introduction really sets that tone yeah. uh, for the rest of the day and how well that day is going to go. Yeah, I love what you said earlier about treating SRNAs as if they are your future colleague or future coworker and just showing people that basic level of respect really changes the tone. I think that's something that's missing from so many interactions between CRNAs and SRNAs and it can shift the whole perspective if you just think of this person as your future colleague and and how would how would you want to treat someone who you were going to be giving breaks to in, in the future. It was going to be joining your team as a practicing CRNA. You know that they don't know everything now, but they're moving in that direction. And I think shifting your perspective to that kind of mindset will really help kind of shape the way that you interact with SRNAs. Right. right. Well, what do you want listeners to know about adult learning theory when it comes to precepting? Because CRNAs, uh, this is where I think is really interesting is that, you know, we go to anesthesia school and train to become expert clinicians in delivering anesthesia, but really nowhere in anesthesia school do we sit down and think about, well, how do people learn? I mean, you think about it in terms of how can I learn this stuff? Because I've got to get, you know, through school and, and past boards, but we often don't think of it in terms of becoming clinical educators. So uh, if you could spend a few minutes talking about adult learning theory, uh, what would you share about that? Uh, so what is adult learning theory? Adult learning theory is what we call andragogy, you know, and this was created by a man called Knowles in 1980. And they have various types of uh, learning theories out there. Uh, andragogy being one of them, um, pedagogy, which actually means child learning theory, and also you have heutagogy. So this, back to this adult learning theory, which is called andragogy, has five assumptions, and I'll really focus on three, which is very important. The first assumption is the why. You know, most adults, or if not all adults, need to know the why behind what they are learning. And this is very important because once you know that why, then it now moves to the second assumption, which is the how. And understanding, the CRNA understanding that various adults already have the established way in which they learn is very important because uh, if you think about it from child learning theory, which they're still trying to form a way in which they learn, and they have an adult, they already have an established form of learning. For some people, it might be reading a textbook. Some people, it might be watching the video. Some people might be discussion. Some people might be listening to a lecture. So every adult at this point in their life already has an established form of learning. So just keeping that in the back of your mind that every adult has various ways of learning and how to learn. And then you move into the next concept, which is called the self-concept assumption, which is that every adult really loves to be treated as a pair for them to be able to learn and not be treated as a child. And that's very important. So these three assumptions, just having that at the back of your mind whenever you get in contact with an SRNA as an adult and knowing these three assumptions uh, really will help to govern the way that you transfer that knowledge as an expert to a novice. Yeah, that's interesting. So to recap, you said 
the why, you know, being able to explain to SRNAs why the way we do things is important. And then the second one was the how. So actually showing people, you know, how to do particular things, how to do particular skills, how to navigate through a clinical day. And then lastly, again, going back to the concept of the self and having that baseline level of respect that people, you know, recognizing that SRNAs, they want to excel and they want to do a good job. And so empowering them with the tools necessary in order to do a good job is super important as a preceptor. Exactly. Yeah. So kind of the opposite of like setting people up for failure, (laughs) which I think is one of the, you know, I think a lot of preceptors unfortunately do that sometimes, you know, they'll try to, you know, quiz SRNAs in a way that, you know, they're going to stump you or they're going to do something in the clinical environment to set you up for failure to see if you can rise above that. But um, I think sometimes those can be undermining practices because people want to excel and do a good job in the clinical environment. Right. Well, OB, clinical evaluation is super important in anesthesia training programs, but I think it's something that a lot of preceptors find really difficult to do in terms of, you mentioned earlier how important it is to give constructive feedback. So would you talk a little bit about, you know, whether it's a, a written evaluation at the end of the day or, you know, giving verbal feedback, maybe some tips for preceptors on how to approach giving feedback? Okay, that's a good question. Um so uh, to understand evaluation, I think that my approach to explain this would actually be to explain the concept of evaluation. So evaluation is a tool, basically, that is created by the university department to give an overall picture of how well the SRNA progresses through this clinical experience or through the clinical rotations. So under the context of evaluation, you have two forms. According to literature, you have the daily evaluation and you have the quarterly evaluation. The daily evaluation is basically what that SRNA gets on a day-to-day basis. It could be in paper, it could be online. And the quarterly evaluation is something that is a combination of the daily evaluation over the course of time. And this kind of creates a picture of how that SRNA is progressing. So we look at under the daily evaluation, and we see that according to literature, there are two forms of evaluation, which is the direct evaluation and what we call the elaborate form of evaluation. The direct form of evaluation is that evaluation in which, for instance, a CRNA just writes out or fills out the evaluation once it's provided to him or her, and that's that. Now, the elaborate form of evaluation, which is what literature says is the best form of evaluation, is when the CRNA actually fills out the evaluation and also has a dialogue, uh, a feedback, where they talk at the end of the whole clinical experience. And literature actually says this about uh, this elaborate form of evaluation. At the end of the day, both the SRNA and the CRNA will always arrive to the same conclusion that was written down. And the SRNA will actually understand the concept behind that evaluation or why he's being evaluated at that certain level and then fix whatever needs to be fixed. Within that context, you look at literature also says that there are certain barriers that hinder evaluation, more like the elaborate form of evaluation. One of them is the lack of time or poor planning. So it, the way that it's actually written is that as a preceptor, at the first instance, it's good to keep in the back of your mind that, okay, I have this SRNA, and how do I get that five minutes? I need to talk to this SRNA before the clinical experience and also at the end. 
and it's 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 all about planning and finding that time if it's possible. And sometimes it's just difficult to do. Back to evaluation, uh, what the literature talks about is evaluation should be based on two things. The clinical objective, typically derived from the faculty or from the university, and also based on the student's objective. That's what the evaluation should be based on. And what it should not be based on is comparison from sRNA to sRNA or comparison to what another CRNA actually tells that CRNA preceptor. So that's important to have this picture in the back of your mind when evaluating um, SRNA to effectively give a good evaluation. Yeah, I think that's really important what you said right there at the end is that, you know, evaluations should not uh, come with the bias of what you've heard about this SRNA from other preceptors that you should really, you know, that, that can be that can be important sometimes it's necessary to talk about SRNAs amongst CRNA preceptors. Mm. I always encourage my staff to, you know, keep their perspectives of SRNAs confidential. And, you know, if they have something that can be constructive to share with other preceptors, kind of on the core preceptor team with a particular SRNA, which is something that we set up for the first couple of months straight for an SRNA's uh, experience when they're right new in the OR, you know, that can be valuable to share. But talking about SRNAs and, you know, if they've made mistakes or silly things they've done at the lunch table and in the break room, that's just undermines the culture, I think. Um, and, and really the best practice would be to take what you see at face value day to day and, you know, understand that that SRNA is, is there to learn. They're not going to do everything perfectly. They're going to make mistakes and that's a normal part of training. Right, right. Well, how, how should preceptors provide positive reinforcement and, and why is that important for them to, to give positive reinforcement for actions that they see that they want to promote? Okay, this is a very good question. Um, I'll, I'll answer this question kind of based on the mechanisms of feedback or positive reinforcement. And one mechanism that is usually that stands out in most literature is called that sandwich feedback mechanism. And it's usually very unique in itself. In that, if you really look at the diagram of that feedback, it looks like a sandwich in which you have a positive, a negative, and then a positive. So you give a positive feedback, then you give a negative, and then you give a positive at the end. And why, why this is kind of important? Because most students tend to focus and dwell solely on that negative aspect. So engulfing that with a positive and a negative kind of helps that CRNA, uh, that SRNA see the whole picture and then understand to themselves, okay, yeah, I, I still have some positive, that's cool, that's good, but at the same time, this is the negative I have to dwell on. So that's why I really like that form of uh, sandwich feedback mechanism, where you give a positive, then you give a negative, and then you give a positive, because it now allows that SRNA to see the whole picture and then say to themselves, okay, this is what I really need to focus on. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that's an easy feedback paradigm to keep in mind for preceptors. I would encourage preceptors to just make sure that that's each piece of that is authentic. And if you can't think of those three pieces of a positive constructive followed by a positive, that's okay. You don't have to fulfill all three because, 
you know, if, it, if it's not authentic, if you're just kind of looking for that second positive thing to, you know, complete your feedback sandwich, SRNAs, they're going to be able to see through that. They're going to be able to know that, right, okay, right. well, really, really this preceptor just needs to talk about how I messed up today and, you know, tell me how to do my job better, but they've got to come up with like some kind of canned, well, you showed up on time, good job. And what I really want to talk about is how you filled that airway and you need to come up with some authentic feedback for people because, you know, it goes back to respecting adults, you know, they're going to be able to see through um, kind of a canned feedback if you're just trying to come up with something to fill that feedback sandwich. But it can, like, there's a spirit of it that is really important is in, which is, you know, SRNAs, I think, can sometimes feel like they can't do anything right. And there's so much to improve on. And so finding those things as clinical preceptors to point out that SRNAs are doing good can be profoundly empowering. And and it might seem silly to us because we're like, well, yeah, you should just know how to do that. Or, you know, you're going to become expert at some point along the way. But finding those little things, you know, whether it's how an SRNA talks to a patient in pre-op or maybe another staff member or, you know, them implementing a skill or a technique that you taught them either early in the day or earlier in the week or a month ago. And, you know, it was a, it was a learning point then, and now they've got it dialed. So pointing that out and giving some positive reinforcement to that, it's easy to forget how powerful those moments can be as a practicing CRNA for our SRNA learners. But, uh, you know, even though they may not let on to it, a lot of SRNAs look up to their CRNAs and providing that positive reinforcement can be really powerful. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's talk about effective communication uh, specifically. And it's obviously important. I mean, communication is it's an art form, whether you're a parent, a spouse, or a clinical preceptor. So do you have any tips for preceptors out there on how to communicate effectively in the clinical environment? Okay, that's a good question. So communication, I kind of divided it into two concepts, in which I said, okay, open communication on one hand, which is very important, and then we have other forms of communication. I'll talk about open communication for a minute. So open communication is this communication that is typically used in an OR setting. As I alluded to before, is the SRNA at this point is not fully developed in this skill. This is a skill that it's learned over time. And this is a skill that the SRNA should start endeavoring into over the course of their clinical uh, rotations. And what this CRNA preceptor can do is to help that SRNA uh, develop that open communication. Uh, Likewise, the CRNA preceptor could use this open communication technique. And what does open communication do? It, It does about four basic things. Number one is that it reduces frustration, it reduces anxiety, it reduces confusion, and it improves confidence. Example can be something like, oh, my blood pressure is low, but I'm working on the kind of situation. So more of a real open communication. And then we look at all the forms of effective communication technique. And I'll talk about coaching all the way to pimping, about eight of them. Coaching, what is coaching? Coaching here is when the CRNA directs the SRNA to complete a specific task. In other words, there's a specific skill that that CRNA wants that SRNA to learn. Then there's another form of communication called prompting, where the CRNA kind of tells that SRNA what's the next step to do. Are you missing something? And there's one that is also called cluing. Cluing is, for instance, where the CRNA might touch, tap on the vaporizer 
or my tap on the beer holder, and that clues that sRNA on uh, what's what what is missing, and he fixes that. Another thing is modeling, where the sRNA performs a specific task with the objective of trying to teach that sRNA a specific task. For instance, like a spine, if you're trying to teach something specific, you show that sRNA the way that's done. Using open-ended question, example, say like, how would you do this? Or how would you do that? It's very effective well, communication. And finally, it's called that, it's called pimping. And what exactly is pimping according to literature? It's asking a series of increasing in-depth questions to gauge an academic knowledge. Well, literature actually says that pimping can increase stress of the sRNA that's already in a stressful position and place them in a defensive posture. So it's wise that this sRNA understands this. And pimping itself is not a bad thing, but use it very in a, in a good way. Yeah, it's inter- I, think, I think the concept of pimping or you know, what the literature recalled uh, sequential questioning is classic to anesthesia training, right? I think we've all had preceptors that have done that to us, uh, which feels like you're getting something done to you, you know, (laughs) uh, it's the, it's the trial by fire, uh, thing. So, so I agree with you. It it can increase, uh, or I agree with what the literature says It, 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 you know, it can increase stress and often make it very difficult to focus or even sometimes to find the right answer when you just feel like you're getting drilled all day. So, you know, it's a form of Socratic teaching of, of questioning and looking for what the SRNA knows. But again, I think, you know, you've already hit on it, Obi, that pimping might be a reasonable technique. The true power of that is going to come from, you know, if you've created that positive environment, if you've got a degree of trust established with the SRNA and that, you know, I think sometimes just saying things like, you know, I'm not here to, to trip you up or to, uh, to make you feel like you're deficient or, or to get you to fail. I'm just interested to see what you know, and then we're going to go from there. And I think it's also interesting if you're going to ask sequential questions or to pimp, you know, are you as the preceptor prepared to talk about the things that you're questioning the SRNA on? And while it might be appropriate to have that SRNA go and look things up and get back to you, whether that evening or the next day, I I do think that there's a role of actually teaching in the clinical environment that's going to be important. And if you're asking questions about something that you're not prepared to talk about or teach yourself, then maybe reevaluate that teaching methodology. Or once you find out, you know, the limits of that SRNA's knowledge, then fill in from there. You know, they're, they're looking to learn from preceptors just as much as we're looking for the SRNAs to have done um, all the reading up to that point. Right. Yeah. Well, excellent. That's a great rundown. So I love that, you know, different types of teaching techniques that you ran through there. So that's a, that's a great list. And all these, just so the listeners know, all of the various lists and the times that Obi is referencing the literature um, come from, from obviously published articles that we can put links to in the show notes. If you want to see the actual articles where we're pulling this information from, we'll get those uh, as links in the show notes. So um, lastly, Obi, to close out, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to say about precepting before we go? Uh, no, I think it kind of really covered the main basics of the discussions that are needed in this podcast. We talked about the importance of uh, precepting. We talked about gaps, barriers, the benefit of preceptor training. We talked about the qualities of a good preceptor. 
We looked into a new versus a senior SRNA. We talked about the conducive environment uh, needed for presetting. And we also talked about the evaluation form and its importance and how that it's important to uh, the progression of the SRNA. I think we really hit on every core aspect of this uh, discussion. Yeah, that's great. I guess in closing, maybe one last question for you uh, would be, you know, you've done obviously a lot of reading into precepting. Could you summarize just like maybe one or two key takeaways that have really hit home for you or, or sunk in when you've done this reading? You know, what are tips or techniques that you plan to implement in your own career as a CRNA preceptor? Oh, uh, good, good question. So from this reading, I think the major thing is that conducive environment and knowing about the adult learning theory and how adults learn, understanding just the value of uh, evaluations, the, the reason behind it, and also a feedback mechanism, how to use that to effectively let that SRA know what exactly they need to work on and effectively transfer that to the SRNA. So those are all the concepts that I think that needs, that would play the back of my mind whenever I get in contact with an SRNA and hopefully be able to transfer my skills that I have generated as a CRNA to that SRNA in a conducive way. Yeah, that's great. And that's interesting that you mentioned those three things. Those are the things that are on my mind, I think, most often as a preceptor. And this goes back from you know, years of teaching in uh, experiential education and outdoor education for me before I even got into healthcare. But thinking about creating a, an environment that's conducive to learning, you know, understanding adult learning theory, and then being able to give constructive feedback are, are all themes in that, you know, that I think that adults learn best when they're having fun, when they're in a positive and supportive environment, when they know that the people around them are geared towards creating environments that are going to set them up for success. And then understanding that adults want to learn, that they're there to succeed. No one wants to look stupid. People want to master whatever skills are being asked of them. And they're, you know, adults are generally pretty motivated to, to succeed in those environments. And then because of that, people are looking for specific feedback, you know, just telling people, Hey, good job. See you tomorrow. It's almost a disservice. You know, you, you need to be able to give constructive feedback to SRNAs, but to do so in a way that actually helps them grow and sets them up for success and helps them build on, you know, understanding the knowledge and the skills that they need to really master in order to become effective CRNA. So yeah, those are, those are great themes to kind of sound off on Obi. So, well, I know that this podcast is part of your DMP research project and you would like to say something about a survey that is going to be linked to this podcast in the show notes. So why don't you tell the listeners about that and what you would like for them to do? Yeah, sure. So this podcast is part of my DMP project intervention. So I really appreciate listeners to complete the survey. This survey is basically for CRNAs out there, anesthesiologists that will listen to it, and also uh, resident anesthesiologists out there that are listening to this podcast. Uh, this has 12 questions, 10 of which are closed questions, and two that are open-ended questions. And it will take nothing less than 10 minutes to do it. I know various people are doing their daily activities at this point, listening to this podcast, either driving, walking out in the gym, or just uh, doing household chores. 
So you could just click on your phone, click on the survey. Survey Monkey would come up and just scroll down and hit your responses. And uh, I'll get this data. What this data helps us to look at is to look at the how effective CNA training is. And ultimately, the goal is over the course of time of various research, we would bring about some type of change, especially with COA. And at the same time, encourage CRNA preceptors out there the minimum knowledge that they need to have when um, precepting an SRNA student. So, yeah, that would be highly appreciated. So you will also see a link. Uh, this link is actually linked to um, a survey done by uh, Northeastern Indiana Area Health Education Center. And uh, what this institution does is that they give grants to master level projects and give some sort of financial assistance to them. So it's just letting people know that this grant is available out there and they could fill this little survey out and uh, get some type of financial grant from there. Uh, that's wonderful. And, and your research has actually been supported by one of the grants from that organization. Is that exactly. correct? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's great. And just to be clear, so your survey is about asking whether or not this podcast was effective in terms of helping people understand kind of the fundamentals of precepting with the hopes um, after you crunch the data and get your paper put together of maybe influencing change in the future with the Council on Accreditation and developing other resources for precepting for CRNAs. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Well, Obi, I'm stoked that you came on the podcast to talk about this. I'm really excited about the work that you've put into understanding precepting and your passion behind that for CRNAs and trying to help CRNAs enhance their own game in the clinical environment to become better preceptors. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. And I look forward to reading your final project and seeing how this paper comes out. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much. And thanks for having me on your platform. Um, lots of appreciation for me having this platform to implement this project. And I really thank you for it. Hey y'all, John here. If you're digging the show, will you take a couple of minutes and drop a review of Anesthesia Guidebook on Apple Podcast? Your comments and ratings help other people trust the show. Also, send a link to the podcast to your classmates and colleagues. Word of mouth is the best way for Guidebook to grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.